Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Hello, and welcome back to Modern Ancestral Mamas. This is Christine from Nourish the Littles, and I'm joined by Corey from For Nutrients Sake. And today we have with us Liz from Homegrown Education. And Liz is a homeschooling mother to three daughters. She's an avid real food advocate and the creator and founder of Homegrown Education, a company created to empower others to embrace a real food lifestyle. And we have a lot of really fun topics for today. So without further ado, welcome, Liz. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to chat with both of you. I uh, have seen you from a distance. I don't know that we've ever met in person, but I just know we have so much in common. So I know it's going to be a rich, rich conversation. So the weird thing is, as I'm pretty sure we've all been in the same vicinity, but didn't realize it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. That's why when you just said that you were at an event that I was at, and then and then Christine and I were just somewhere together earlier this year, I was like, man, we were like passing it, ships in the night. The funny <laughs> thing is, at that event that you and I were at, Liz, like we sat at the same table. I'm, I'm like almost certain that my mom and I were at one table. And like you came in with your family and then later on that night, of course, I'm stalking on social media and I see that you're at the same restaurant. It looks like you're literally at the same table that we were at. And I was just like, how did we miss each other? That's so random. (laughs) I know. And you know what? We had reservations because it's like the best restaurant in town. And we, I made reservations on our way into town. I'm like, the only thing they have is like 845 and we get there and they're like, sorry, your table's like taking forever. The party before you just like won't leave. Um, they didn't say it like that, but they were like, they're taking a long time. And then I peek over and it's like stinking Joel Salatin, Sally Fallon Morrell, Hilda Labrador. I was like, yep. come on guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. We were all just there. You guys are having a party. Like go back to Polyface so I can eat. It was so funny. And then they left. And they're like, okay, we can see you now. And obviously they know those guys really well because Polyface is a supplier for that restaurant. That's how legit they are, So, which is why you were there too, I'm sure. So it's totally so funny. <laughs> you should have just story. asked if you could go sit down with them. Oh my if gosh. It's okay. I know them. I'll go sit with them. Yeah. Those are my people. I'll just go to seat in. Thank you. Yeah. No, yeah. that would be so funny. But yeah. <laughs> Anyways, th- thanks for having me on today. This will be fun. So, um, I wanted to tell this quick story because I, or you found me on Instagram, I think like a long time ago and you commented on one of my posts and I like went to check out your profile and I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is putting together a um, nutrition education course for children, mm-hmm. specifically for homeschooling children. Mm -hmm. And I was, it was amazing timing because I was going, okay, I need to create something for my own children because I have the knowledge, but 
I haven't formally put anything together. And then when I saw that you had done it, like you did the work, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was like a no brainer. And then I'm pretty sure I got at least five of my homeschooling friends to also (laughs) buy your curriculum. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Yeah. I remember you were like, man, I would have loved to create this, but like you already did. So I was like, you know what? I'm happy to step in and be that resource for you. I, I, I was concerned when I first wrote it because I was like, I don't know how big of a market it is. Other moms that feel the same tension I feel. I have no idea. And I have the oldest kid like of my whole friend group. So like I pretty much pioneer the, you know, older kid homeschool thing. And I'm like, I don't know who else needs this. This might just be me, but I'm going to create it anyways. And so it's very nice to hear from other people who are like minded that they're like, no, we were we needed this. And and then you create it. So that's, that's cool. How old is your oldest? My oldest is 11. Okay. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah. You and Corey have kids similar in age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Corey, how old is your – what are your kids' ages? My oldest is 11 or almost 11 in like three weeks. And okay. then I have a nine-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. Okay. So I have two, six, and nine. So you got one more in there in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or two, six, and 11. Sorry. I just called her nine. She's 11. Anyways, yeah. All right. So we start each episode – with a um, question related to the topic of what we're going to be talking about today. And we'll we'll all go like round table and answer it. So our question for today is, what was the first time that you remember being taught about healthy foods? And what were you taught? So Liz, if you want to go first, you can, or if you'd like to default, one of us can go first. I'll I'll go ahead and go first, but I'm going to be honest. I have no idea like an age. I just remember first learning about food in regard to um, the, the 90s low-fat era and then learning about – basically, it was like my first introduction into food education was just food marketing. It was like the advertising. So I remember watching TV, seeing the Activia yogurt, right? And oh, this is gut healthy and this is lean. And so like I would pick up pieces there and then I would be like, okay, the the like wheat cereal. And then um, that, so that's kind of how I learned in the beginning, honestly, because my parents didn't really have conversations with me about food. You don't really learn about food in public school, to be honest. I mean, you might have a little bit of nutrition education in the health class, but um, I would say like food marketing to me was my first time learning. And it was really just, you know, this is what this product has in it. Obviously, sugar is bad for you, but so is fat. And, you know, definitely just consume this healthy cracker and you'll be fine. So it, it it was no fundamental. It was like food marketing 101. Ugh. <laughs> I know it's it's really sad that that that's my first my first time. I think but. that's probably similar f- for all the kids that grew up in that era. Mhm. Yeah, I, I, mean, I I remember my family bought we bought 2% milk, which was way more fat than any of my friends had and we, I, 
I remember one of my friends was like, oh, this milk is chunky. And it's not chunky. It's just that it's not skim milk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it was 2% or whatever they call it now. But yeah, I remember being the weird kid because we had fat in our milk wow. in the 90s. Does that tell you anything? Yeah. In college, my two roommates, I had one roommate who was, her parents must have really jumped on the low fat train because it was the first time I had been exposed to the concept of low fat. I hadn't really heard about it in my own home and she bought low fat everything and, you know, skim milk and, um, yogurt and cottage treat cheese, like anything that could be low fat she bought. And I, and I remember thinking in my head, that's so interesting. Like this is the first time I've ever seen this. And that was in my twenties. Um, but I didn't like any of the products that she bought. I thought the milk was disgusting. Um, but that's just cause I mean, Corey's heard this story a million times, but I had a really strange childhood where my dad really embraced the packaged foods and processed foods, but my mom was going to a farm and buying raw milk. So like I would eat a toaster strudel with a glass of raw milk, for example. Um, so like I grew up on raw milk and I know that what that tastes like. So to like taste skim milk was just so bizarre to me. It's disgusting. (laughs) She has quite passion around saying skim milk is not appetizing. That's funny because, um, what a, what a radical, like, how do those two things even coexist, right? Pop-tarts or toaster strudels. And then like you're driving to the farm to get raw dairy. That's, I honestly think there's a lot of families out there like that. And truthfully, that's kind of how our family started. Like raw milk was the first thing we incorporated, but Joey would still be eating Flamin' Hot Cheetos and drinking like the occasional Mountain Dew. It's just true. And so it, it's kind of confirming that you're saying the same thing. But we we moved on from that. Like we graduated from the toaster strudel, which I think is is good. But yeah, I've, I've been there. I made toaster strudels for my husband's birthday this year and now every one of my children has asked me to make toaster strudels for their birthdays wow <laughs> like homemade yeah, like yeah. Homemade. did you do the phyllo dough not like make the phyllo dough i mean that's the puff insane. pastry yeah um, the puff pastry what are I, they called i did not make it i found a brand that uses um butter only butter so wow. i bought that um, it is on my list of things to make sourdough puff pastry. Oh my gosh. But, um, I haven't gotten there yet. That, I mean, back in, uh, you know, the COVID era, whatever, uh, there were people, I, I had family members that were making croissants by hand. I would love and to do that. They were saying it is the most labor intensive process. They were just like, now I understand why croissants are $8. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, sign me up for every single thing that they've made on great British baking show. I want to make all of that, (laughs) but like not with the time crunch or with Paul Hollywood standing over me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I kind of want the Paul Hollywood pressure, like put him on my back. I'll, I'll cook right in front of him. We'll see what, let's see what happens. I'll take the hosts. The hosts are like, oh, you're doing so great. And oh, no, you dropped the flour. It'll be fine. I'll help you scoop it up. (laughs) 
all of that sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> baking, baking is like the, the literally that's my nightmare. I hate baking. I love it. Yeah. I mean, teach their own man. <laughs> um, okay. Christine, I don't think you answered. Um, okay. Well, kind of, uh, okay. So I wasn't really taught about like explicitly taught about food at all growing up. Um, however, I do have really vivid memories. So my mother is an immigrant and going back to Ecuador to visit my grandparents and my grand, this is so confusing. My grandfather's actually Spanish, um, from Barcelona and he grew up in the Spanish civil war. And I remember really vividly just the feeling of food around me, a food that was so vastly different than the food in the States. And there was no picky eating. There was no, I don't want to eat this, make me something else. There was the food that was served and that's what I ate. And it was, I mean, totally different than anything. Um, and I, and I remember my grandfather telling me constantly, appreciate the food that's in front of you eat what is in front of you, be thankful for what you have. Um, and I, I actually think that that was, that sunk so deep in me that I, I try to do the same thing with my own kids, you know, today. And I'll never forget that feeling of like him sitting at the table and just devouring everything on his plate and enjoying it and being thankful for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That, that, that is, I can't, I'm not even sure I can explain it, but that like in my heart, that is like my food education that has stayed with me for life. Wow. How old were you when, when that happened? Um, let's say from five until mm, 12, 13, 14. I mean, I would go back twice a year, every year, every Christmas and summer. Yeah. So like really formative years. That's, that's incredible. What a rich, what a rich story that is. Um, well, I don't want to follow you up. <laughs> I, that's the episode guys. Yeah, I think we're, we're done, done here. We'll sign off. <laughs> 15 minutes. We're good. Uh, I think we just really need to Christina tell her story and then the, you guys, I'll no, just watch. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to hear, make it funny, Corey. Oh gosh. Now there's more pressure. Okay. Um, it's not going to be funny because I'm very bad at being funny, but <laughs> I think I remember not really being formally taught anything when I was younger and mostly just having the conversations of like, oh, well, that's junk, mm-hmm. you know, or like Wonder Bread, that's junk food. Or, um, what are those, the like gummy fruit things? That's junk food. We don't eat those. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for my early, early years. And then we got into it a little bit more when my mom found nourishing traditions and started going through that. And then we would talk about it more, but yeah, I don't think there was anything really formal, really formal as a child. Do you think that as a kid hearing like the Wonder Bread was junk or the gummy, the candy gummies were junk, 
did that make you want them or did that make you curious about them or you kind of just learned those are junk. I don't really need them. I'm not interested. Hmm. No, I was definitely interested. Um, like I see the way my kids. Okay. So I have an eight year old, almost six year old and almost two year old. But, um, the, I see the way the eight year old looks at his friends that will eat, I don't know, a bag of Cheetos or, I mean, we're in Texas. So some of his friends are drinking Cokes and Dr. Pepper and, and he has this look of curiosity and just kind of like wonder, you know, like, Hmm, I wonder what that is and what it tastes like. And I know I can't keep it from him forever. I know that he's going to have a soda one day and I know he's going to have a bag of Cheetos and who knows what else. Um, maybe that's, that's part of what we talk about on this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Joey and I actually talked about this in one of our episodes because we, we have such like vast age gaps, right? Between our kids, we have a two-year-old, a six-year-old and an 11-year-old. And the way that they like process how they see other people eating, um, is so different. Right. And Sophie, who's our oldest can sometimes Mm -hmm. like have we we called it the elitist mindset where she'll <laughs> she'll kind of come back and she'll say like wow so and so ate this for lunch can you believe that which i'm like okay let's let's talk about like appropriate ways to make observations and inappropriate like judgmental ways right and then the the middle child right ruthie will say she's just obsessed right she just wants to try it all because she's six and she's like this is amazing this tastes great Sophia, my oldest, went to summer camp this year and, you know, she came home. She's like, I had a Pepsi with every male mom. (laughs) And I was like, oh, girlfriend, I hope you enjoyed that experience. She goes, you know, on day two, my stomach hurt so bad I had to visit the nurse. They almost called you. And I was like, probably because the Pepsi, but I hope you had a great time. And she came home. The first thing she ate was a grass-fed burger. And she was like, wow, this food tastes amazing. I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to comment. I'm not going to shame you for your food choices. You know what you've done. I hope that you just can observe this. See, how did I feel after I had a Pepsi with every stinking meal at summer camp? And then, like, first of all, like, why are we even serving Pepsi? Or, like, why are we giving (laughs) middle schoolers access to a Coke machine? What is is happening? Um, But that could have been a moment where I was like, oh, my gosh, like this woman who this this little girl who never has soda is like just binging on on soda pop. Like that's that's a a concern. Right. But we had that conversation. And I think as the kids get older, they go through these phases. So I'm going to watch Ruthie go into this phase of instead of just being obsessed with candy and anything sweet, she's going to be like, oh, wow, there's a difference between how I feel when I eat that and when I don't or how, wow, we eat this way, but this family doesn't do that the same way. And we just kind of have to train them as they go on because Sophia, like I have to train out of her that weird elitist, like, wow, you know, like the judgment. But but that's just what 11-year-olds are. They judge everything everyone does. They judge what shows other people watch, what music other people watch. That's just being 11. But it's so hard as like a parent who's like very real food focused to not want to like panic when you hear like your kid went to summer camp <laughs> They drank a soda at every meal. So I, I, I resonate with that. And I think 
it's going to be such a training experience for us as our kids get older to learn how to navigate those conversations because they have to happen and and it's going to be a wild ride. So I don't, yeah. One of my best friends told me that my son, my oldest, was over at their house and he they had like a, they have a glass door on their pantry so you can see into it. And he said to me, or he said to her, and she told me later, he goes, um, you have a lot of really unhealthy food in your pantry, Miss Brittany. (laughs) And thank God she like knows me and knows (laughs) that he's, you know, a kid. Um, and that, I don't care what other people do, um, but <laughs> we laughed about it. It was funny. Liz, can you talk a little bit about, just because I actually really like where this is going, how can we talk to our kids so that there's not so much judgment around food? Because you're so right. It's Food is such a sensitive, emotional topic for people. There's and, almost religion around food. Oh, like, yes. Totally. I would definitely agree with that. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's the same thing I say, you know, when I get a little spicy or passionate, like <laughs> on Instagram, right? I'm not I'm not yelling or mad at the person consuming the food. I, I take it up a level and talk about the systems in place that allow us to have access to such cheap, terrible food and that um, put us at a disadvantage to have access to the good nourishing food. Like it, There's just systems that unfortunately aren't built around – like the food system is not built around nourishment for the U.S. population. And so I think anytime we can – a, share our own experiences like, yeah, w- you know, we've had that cereal before. You remember what that tasted like? Or, hey, we've had that as a treat before and, you know, that's okay. Um, there's those conversations to like, you know, like I just said earlier, we, we haven't been a nourished family since our inception. We we went through this journey and it's a journey we're still on. And so relating that to say, hey, that's where they're at in their journey right now Um that's okay for them. Now, here's the other piece of that. Unfortunately, the reason why they're there or why that that is a is a, a one option of eating food is because there's this larger system at play, right? There's a food system with marketing agencies and um, wide-scale distribution that allows for us to have really easy access to cheap food. And because we live in a culture that prioritizes convenience and busyness and doing everything else and spending money on really nice cars and having, you know, 5,000 devices and watching TV instead of spending time in the kitchen and cooking and using raw material and making something for your family, I try to bring it back to almost like a philosophical level of like, hey, let's talk about why this is even possible. Um, and, And obviously that works for an 11-year-old, for a six-year-old, um, that conversation would look different. But like I said with Ruthie, I don't see her making those comments yet. She's still kind of in that curiosity phase, which is what you were saying, Corey, about when someone says, oh, that's junk. Um, and in those moments, I try to say, I try to go back to, okay, let's not talk about good food, bad food. I'm so sick of the labeling things, putting a place value on them. Let's talk about whether they're 
rich in nutrients or they're lacking in nutrients, whether they are um, nutrient positive, nutrient neutral, or nutrient negative. Do they have things in them that might actually be harmful for us? Like Everyone's freaking out about the Skittles situation. I want to say, guys, this is the tip of the iceberg. Um, we shouldn't be surprised that there's titanium dioxide in Skittles. Like It's in everything. And so having those sort of awareness conversations and pointing it back to the system, the um, and that sounds vague, right? And, and you can blame a lot on the system, but but you can dial in and get specific, and you can say, hey, there are um, really easy, convenience packaged foods that people have either grown up on. Maybe there's nostalgia there. Maybe that's why the parents choosing to eat that. Maybe they haven't learned this thing about the way that this crop is grown. Maybe they haven't ever had a conversation with a farmer. Maybe that's never dawned on them to think about the food that they eat and that it impacts their overall health. There's a lot of people who lack that connection. And it's easy for me to forget that because I'm in this space all the time where I'm like everything, you know, food is our nourishment and da, da, da. But it's, it's nice because kids kind of make you humble and they bring you back to like the fundamentals. And it is a good reminder to say not everyone has that Um awareness and and we can either help in that or we can just say you know what that's their journey and we're gonna hope and pray that they continue on and whatever that looks like for them so it's it's complicated but I think it can be had I think it's an important piece of the learning journey for the kids I think I've seen a lot of um, pediatric nutritionists like actually you know registered dietitians who say things like using the um, the junk food label or the good food, bad food labels are really not helpful. Um, that demonizing food as bad or as junk, um, you know, kind of either elevates it in our kids' minds or um, makes it sort of a like a Romeo and Juliet situation, you know, like the forbidden is what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that using words like what you were saying, Liz, with the, is it nutrient positive or nutrient negative or nutrient? Um, what did you say? Neutral. Like neutral. Thank not, you. Like pop, like popcorn, right? Like it's not going to hurt you. It's really not adding much to you, but like it can be a great snack. Let's eat it. Sure. Um, right. Or, or a lot of times we'll use words in our house, like, um, you know, this is adding to your body or this is, this food makes you feel fast or like you can't focus, you know, like trying to connect food to how you're feeling. And Mm. the closer you can get it to that feeling, like, you know, making, helping your kids make that connection as quickly as possible is the most um, effective, at least it has been in our house. Yeah, that's really good. Like uh, almost identifying a quote symptom of a food and then saying, hey, this food can do this. I I mean – I find that often if I have something super sugary and then I have a crash. Hey, this makes me feel tired in 30 minutes. This makes me feel really hyper and then I feel that, you know, so I've, um, I really like that. 
So when do you think you would say it's appropriate to, okay, so let, maybe let's back up for a little bit. Why don't you tell us what it is, what is your curriculum, you know, what is homegrown education? Give us a little bit of info on that for those that aren't familiar with it, and then we can go back and um, ask a question that I was going to ask. Yeah, sure. So basically, um, we homeschool. We have three daughters. And uh, when my oldest was in second grade, it was our second year homeschooling. I was looking for something fun to do with her that would be speaking to food in a way that matched how our family ate. And I was already familiar with like the Weston A. Price Foundation because I, I found them out of a need for um, like raw dairy information. So I was already on that ancestral eating path and my husband's a hunter and um, it's been in the family for generations. So and he had he had um, you know a father who farm or a grandfather who farmed and so food has been big in his family history, and I had a very negative experience with food. I had a debilitating eating disorder in high school, wound up in inpatient treatment, years and years and years of therapy, um, and I wanted to avoid that for our girls. And so it came out of a need for recognizing my past, my struggles, and the reality of diet culture. And also, like, being this new homeschool mom and so optimistic. And oh, there's probably some fun worksheets we can color, right? And no, there was absolutely nothing. It was like, I mean, if you've seen, if you've reviewed the USDA's MyPlate program, which is their, like, version of the food pyramid, you know, reimagined every five years, and they put out a specific kids' curriculum that's often used in the public school system, it's just atrocious. Like, not only is it visually just very outdated and looks, you know, just unappealing to me. I was, I was very about aesthetics when I first started homeschooling. I was like, this this curriculum needs to be beautiful and inspiring. And I still feel that way, but maybe less so. Um, I didn't like the way it looked. I didn't like the information it was sharing. I mean, to give you an example, it would, it, the, the lesson on fats said, okay, put a stick of butter in a bowl and grab a straw and then put a, put a bowl of vegetable oil down and grab a straw and have the kid try to suck through the straw both fats and then they'll realize that vegetable oil is liquid and so it moves through the vascular system with ease and doesn't clog your arteries although saturated fat that's found in butter can clog your arteries i said first of all what is butter at 98.6 degrees it's liquid second of all why are we trying to put in our kids' brains this idea that the food goes directly into the vein because you would be dead. <laughs> like, I, there's just so many issues with, like, it, it felt like propaganda to me because I, I had unlearned a lot of this, like, low fat and, and um, you know, just a weird focus on fiber. I feel like everyone's very hyped on fiber and not recognizing any animal protein, absolutely nothing about wild game, which I was like, okay, my kids are going to feel like freaks if they do this curriculum because, like, we butcher and process our own deer. And there was just nothing that mimicked that. Um, Sally Fallon had a children's cookbook, and there were some other things that were like an ABC real food thing, but nothing comprehensive for like a second or third grader. And so I was like, well, shoot, um, I'll just like write out a course outline and see where that takes me. And then I wrote the course outline and I got rolling and I was like, okay, well, I'm, I kind of want like a logo to 
to sure this thing up so I can feel like I'm creating something. So I had a logo created and then I had my designer lay out a couple lessons just to look, see what it would look like. And then two years later, I had a full book and interviewed people and had um, people review it. And it, it was it was like, wow, I can't even believe that that was done. And now I have five other resources that I'm like, wow, I can't even believe those exist. But it basically just spiraled out of this need for our own family to have something concrete to back up what they were already seeing in the kitchen. And I think that's something that you know, when we talk about real food education with kids, we have to recognize that food education is happening all the time. We just have to make an intentional choice to be the first to market on that subject. It's like every other subject that's critical. Kids are learning. They're picking it up. They're seeing the commercials. They're seeing what their kids are eating. They're seeing how you're cooking at dinner. They're seeing how you're even eating dinner, what's being made, what's for breakfast. Um, all sorts of things. And so I wanted that to be a critical part of our homeschooling because I knew that it was my lack of understanding about what nourishing food was that led me on a path to a debilitating eating disorder. And I, I just I couldn't stand to see that repeated and not even try to step in and do do something. So um, long story short, wrote that over two years and we launched in April of 2021, so like a year and a half ago. So yeah, it's pretty recent. And and since then, there's been so many other families that have utilized the curriculum. And so then we created an early elementary book because I was like, okay, my middle child needs something. This this workbook's too advanced for her. She she needs an introduction to real food. Um, and so we just kind of roll with the needs of our family, to be honest. So we created a dinner guide because I was struggling with what to make for dinner. And we just launched a coloring book. And it's just like, it's been a blast. It's been super fun. But it's something I also, as much fun as it is, I work really, really hard because I feel like it's so necessary. And it's just not a conversation a lot of people are having or they're having it ineffectively. And to, to your point, Corey, a lot of the conversation around, you know, food is like, well, you know, you should offer it whenever they want because then we'll normalize this food and and it's okay if they have a little bit of candy with every meal or you know, whatever. And that that's one approach, but we could also give them context behind that. We could peel back the layers of the food system. We could um give them an alternative viewpoint of how to see their food. And so, you know, when your middle schooler comes home from church camp and says that she had Pepsi every time, you have a foundation to be like, wait a minute, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how that, did you enjoy it? What was it like? How did you feel? You had a stomach ache so bad you almost had to come home from camp? Wow, what an interesting learning, you know? So all that to say, the food piece is a conversation you're going to have with your kids for eternity because it's just a part of everyday life. I wanted to make sure I had something structured and comprehensive to help reinforce what my kids were kind of seeing in our kitchen. So, yeah. One of the reasons that I was so happy that you had written this curriculum was that um, as a homeschooler, there's a lot of times where my kids are learning from me and really only from me. And especially when it comes to food, 
there wasn't really another voice that they were hearing. And so your, your curriculum kind of just validated it for my kids, which mm-hmm. is almost invaluable mm-hmm. because it makes it not me. It's not, I'm not the only one doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a psychological thing, right? That third-party validation. When you hear something from one person, then another person says it. You're like, oh, wait a minute. There's two people now on that team. Right. And I think that that's such a key point too. Unfortunately, I don't have that with my kids. So that's why I like drive them to Polyface, right? To hear from Joel Salatin and be like, see, he says the same thing I'm saying. I have to create that because otherwise they're like, mom, you can write whatever you want. But, you know, everything is very well cited and sourced and none of it is my own opinion or um, like personal take. It's just factual. It's just what is what do people say, right? Our largest lesson in the book is on dairy and I have both sides represented and then I have all of this, the sourcing to back it up and you can make your own conclusion, but I'm going to tell you right now, the sources are on the side of the raw dairy. And so that's a whole other conversation, right? It's something I, I talk about way too much probably, but yeah, I, I think that that extra confirmation of the ideas that are happening in your home, even if that's not how your kitchen looks right now, even if that's just your aspiration and you want it to look like that, um, it's a big deal. I mean, I know I have friends that went through the curriculum last year, like around the same time we were doing it all together, and they're not, um, they're, they would probably call themselves like crunchy light. <laughs> You know, like they're mm-hmm. not making their own sourdough. They might want to, but that's not happening in their homes. And they're not prioritizing the things that I prioritize in my own kitchen, which is totally fine. But like they went through your curriculum and it was kind of a learning thing for their whole family together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had enough adults message me and say, I'm so excited. I just went through your curriculum and, you know, I don't have any kids yet, but I just wanted to learn. And I was like, well, here's a list of about 12 books you can read. You know, obviously, like Nourishing Traditions is on there, but like that's intimidating. That's a solid like three inch book. But even just reading the first couple chapters and then the side panels is worth it. But so I would always give them extra resources and then be like, oh, I just need something like really quick and simple. So I created a real food guide basically just taking and it's only available in PDF because I was like, I don't this isn't even printable. It's like 35 pages, but it does that. It gives them a snapshot of like, okay, just tell me what are the nourishing foods? What are foods that are commonly found in the food system? What do we have issue with? What's the deal with GMOs? What does the USDA say about things versus what does sort of like ancestral dietary wisdom say? And compare and contrast those two. And those are, it's really enlightening when you understand how vastly different they are. I think if most people understood what the USDA actually promotes in terms of nutritional guidelines for Americans, they would be shocked. Um, But they just, they're not reading them. It's not really impacting them. Adults already have enough freedom in their choice of food that they don't really register that they might need food education until like they're sick or they're facing um, just a lack of energy or something that they're like, man, what's going on? And they peel back the layers and they they look to food. So yeah, I, I have had lots of adults go through that and say like, I'm learning
saving so much or, you know, I, I bought it for myself and which I think is fantastic. I think you can absolutely learn alongside your kids. I think that's one of the beauties of homeschool, honestly. So I have a few questions. Um, you've talked a little bit about the systems and we could have a myriad of episodes just about the systems. <laughs> but you, what do you think about this idea, okay, so, you know, your daughter came back from this camp and she had the Pepsi every day with her meal, that kind of thing. Is this something that as parents, is it worth our time and effort to go after these, the systems in place in that are uh, directly affecting us? So for example, would you go to the camp and say something like, Hey, why are you serving Pepsi to middle schoolers? Um, that's not even a middle schooler, a preteen, you know, um, I'm just trying to think, or like, would we go to, you know, your church and say, can you please stop giving goldfish or donuts? Gosh, donuts drive me nuts. Um, where, where do you think as parents, if we want to make a difference and not everyone does, so I'm not saying that we all have to go out there and make a difference, but for those of us that are really passionate about this and, we have to change something somewhere. It has to start somewhere. Um, I don't know. What do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it depends on your relationship with, like, said institution, right? So in Sophie's example, this was a church camp held at a college campus. And so they were just basically using the, like, dining hall. And, like, it, it was every day for them, right? And um, because it's not something she's going to participate in every week of the year and it's a one-time thing and you know she honestly felt the repercussions of those decisions I think that time it's appropriate to have the conversation between me and her um I, I think say it's within your church and you have a small community and you're well connected in your church I think that there's absolutely a piece where you can say like hey I'm not sure if you know this or not but those goldfish and those animal crackers that you feed every service aren't necessarily um, necessary to keeping our kids entertained. You know, it's it might just be <laughs> like an easier way to watch the kids, but can we swap for something? Can we can we buy the organic kind of Costco something, little changes? I, you could say the same thing about, you know, all of the crazy hand sanitizers they're using there. It's just an environment that you probably don't have control over. And so – you know, if it's a small enough community where you have say and you've put the time in and you've put the service in and you're willing to maybe be a part of that community, then yeah, I think you can speak to it. If you're just going to be like a nagging Nancy and not have relationship with them, but then be like, y'all served soda, like that obviously wouldn't be effective. Um, I think when it gets to the larger issues, so um, like like the public school lunch or um, our nutritional guidelines by the USDA or our agricultural systems, I think there are lots of amazing people doing big things in that space. Like Zen Honeycutt is one that comes to mind. She does a lot of advocacy and even she is sort of moving into this neighborhood by neighborhood food system where she's trying to just equip people with access to real food because 
fighting sort of like quote the powers that be on the issue of glyphosate or whatever the next chemical is going to be is really, really challenging. And so I, I will always applaud. I think everyone has their own sort of calling in this space and like the Robbie Kennedys and the people who are um, working really hard to change systems are doing it effectively and and have wonderful organizations built around that. I think it's just a matter of what every person is supposed to be doing. To me, that starts first and foremost with a conversation with your own kids in your own household. Um, I, I like liken it so much to like sharing the gospel, right? Like you wouldn't walk up to someone and be like, let's talk about Jesus or whatever your your religion is without having relationship first. And where does that all start? It starts in the home. So um, it's a tricky thing. I think it can be easy for people to feel like, well, I just can't change it. So, you know, that it is what it is. But I think if you can take it one piece at a time, then it, or at least equip your kids to ask the questions, even even calling out that she had a soda every day was like she laughed because she knew it was hilarious because she knew it was insane and she knew she felt terrible. Um, I'm never going to shame her for that. I will talk to her about it, frankly, and say, wow, interesting that you had a stomachache. That's fascinating. Um but, but I'm not going to put her in this space of like, <clears throat> now you go to camp and you make sure you – I did tell her. I said, make sure you're eating good protein because you're going to be super active. So when there's protein available, you take it. Um, and then they could pack snacks. And so I loaded her up with like the healthiest, quote, snacks I could. And she enjoyed those. So I exercised what freedoms and liberties I had in that environment. And then the rest of it, I was like – Let's keep it at an open conversation so you don't ever feel shameful or like you have to hide your food from me because I used to do that. I used to hide my eating disorder behaviors from my parents and that just leads to suffering. So um, I don't even know if that answered your question, but I feel like it starts in the home and then, you know, who you're connected with or who you're who you have relationship with sort of branch from there. No, you definitely answered my question. <laughs> um. What's on your mind, Corey? No, I was waiting for you because I thought you had more. You said you had multiple oh. questions. I did. I didn't. I didn't want to take over, but go ahead. Can I? Okay, I'm gonna ask one more. Um, so, okay, so as I've started down this path of educating people about ancestral nutrition, um, I've realized that it's the parents that we need to educate because for the most part, they're the ones that are in charge of the food purchases and cooking the food and, and all of that. Um, but I also know that it's super important to teach the kids this, and this is where homegrown education comes in your curriculum. And so what do you think about this idea of like educating the parents versus the kids? Like, who do you think it starts with? Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that because I, I very much started with the intention of like, okay, I already have this foundational knowledge. Now I'm going to teach my kids. And I was nervous launching a curriculum that's so sort of niche because I was like, I don't even know who else might need this. And then I did realize that there were a lot of parents who craved that. Like they could see the value in talking about real food and they could see the freedom that comes with that, but they were were um, hadn't learned yet. And so that's where the real food guide came in. But even beyond that, it was like, I realized you can't teach what you don't know. And so if there's ways that we can equip families, even just 
at the most basic mealtime level, um, we kind of shifted gears. And so that's why this very second resource we ever created was What's for Dinner, because I found that so many families could, A, even if they had this kind of foundational understanding of what real food is, putting it all together at that final culminating meal at the end of the day and sitting down and having that with everyone's schedules just wasn't clicking. And even for our own home, I mean, sometimes Joey would come home and he'd be like, what's for dinner? And I would just be so mad because I'd be like, I don't have anything thawed. I've been home all day. I have no excuse. I could have gone down to the freezer 18,000 times today, but I just chose not to or I didn't think about it. I felt like I was getting caught, like, you know, being a slacker. And not he was not trying to guilt or shame me in any way, but he would just that simple question, what's for dinner? And I just, oh, I would cringe a little bit. And so jokingly one day he was just like, hey, you should create something called what's for dinner. And I was like, well, that's a smart idea. And so I I wrote like the first two weeks and I gave them out for free. And people were like, wow, this is great. Can we do this again? Because it was basically just the meals we ate in our house all the time, but on rotation. And um, so I, I think that's a piece of it. I think even, I think we can educate people. We can inundate them with all of the like scientific fact and understanding. And I mean, that's what you guys do on this podcast. That's what we do on our podcast. There's places for that. But we also have to equip them and we have to give them a practical way to turn some of that into what they're going to actually feed their families. And so what's for dinner isn't educational in terms of like, hey, this is a good meal because it's got good protein, um, starch, and veg, and it's well-balanced, and this, the ingredients you're using are are simplistic, and it's going to save you money. It's just, it is that. And so if people find that, like, hey, when I get in a rhythm of cooking, um, my whole world changes. And we have a section in the beginning of that called Kitchen Rhythms where it just talks about certain kitchen rhythms that we do. And one of them is... Like, hey, we cook a whole chicken every single week. Like even tonight, we had roasted chicken. And then I take that chicken. We we eat it usually for two meals because there's enough muscle meat to eat for two meals. And then um, we turn the carcass and whatever scrap meat that I don't want to save for something else into broth. And that simple rhythm alone, I can't tell you how many people have been like, I never bought a whole chicken until I got what's for dinner. I was just so scared. Because it's intimidating because we don't have things like butchery class or like the processing or breaking down of an animal. Unless you choose to go to culinary school, you don't get that knowledge. And so I didn't have that knowledge and I married a chef and I was like, this is fantastic. Everyone should learn this. Um, so it's it's you're absolutely right. You can't teach what you don't know. That being said, there's this beautiful space where you can absolutely learn alongside your family. And you can do that without having to like spend a year and get a nutrition degree and uh, multiple years, honestly, and, and dig into the weeds. You can learn little by little. And so we try to do that. We try to sort of spoon feed information or, or give um, practical steps in a way that's actually going to enact change because I know for me, there was plenty of seasons in my life where I knew what was right, but I didn't act on it because I didn't have the confidence or the equipping. And so we really have shifted a lot of our tone to more like holistic family equipping, right? Being a nourished family. I use that phrase all the time because it's it's so much more than a children's curriculum. It, it really is the whole family 
on their real food journey. And what does that look like? It looks something looks like something different for every single family. And it's all honorable and worthy of respecting. And so that's I, I love that you made that point because I totally agree. Okay, so you homeschool, I homeschool, Christine doesn't. And we have a lot of people who listen who homeschool, but also a lot whose kids are in either a private school or a public school or maybe even a hybrid. Um, So how do you think, like, would you suggest that people who, um, whose kids are not at home still go through your curriculum or would you suggest um, that they kind of approach it differently? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, like I said earlier, food education is already happening. Mm -hmm. It's just, are you in front of it or are you not? And so it, homeschooling is beautiful because it lends itself to those conversations because you're literally in an or around your kitchen a lot of the day. Um, but like we, so we chose to homeschool for very specific reasons. Um, but before that, my daughter was in full-time daycare, full-time school, 12 hours a day. I mean, we did that. We were both working full-time. And I still think there would have been room to have that conversation. And she still learned things about food, but it just wasn't under my sort of um, intentional leadership. And so for families who are like, hey, I don't have, you know, the school day to do your curriculum. Well, I think it's a great summer thing. I think you could absolutely do it on the weekends. But honestly, I think the most effective thing, if you just want to spend time together um, and be a family and be on this journey, then take something from it, like go to a farmer's market or go pick out a recipe online for free. I mean, you don't, I don't even know how people sell cookbooks anymore because there's so many recipes for free um, that you can just go find something and cook it together. Watch a documentary. There's so many fantastic um, opportunities of programming right now. Like some of my favorites are from the source, which is on the Magnolia Network. Um, very kid friendly, and they d- they take a deep dive into individual ingredients. They do a whole episode on maple syrup, a whole episode on olive oil. Beautiful processes laid out. Um, a whole thing on salt. I loved their salt episode. Um, you can watch from the source. You can watch. Uh, I mean, we've watched like Master Chef Junior with our kids and just got them excited about the idea of cooking and exposing them to maybe different cultural um, ideas about food. And so sort of just that word exposing them, I think, is a good way to say it because you are. They're they're soaking up what you're doing in the kitchen. They're soaking up what they're seeing at school. And you know what? I actually think it's even more important for folks who have their kids in a, a school of some sort because there's going to be some unlearning that needs to be had, just like in any other subject where you're like, hey, that's what's being taught there, but this is how our family kind of settles on that topic. Um, no school system's ever going to fully align with your family's beliefs. I mean, I just don't think it's it just doesn't work that way. And so I always encourage like any schooling family to um, recognize that and take ownership of that. And so 
cooking with your kids. I mean, I'm a big fan of getting the kids in the kitchen early. I know it's kind of annoying and it can be harder, but there's definitely times where it's worth it. And now I have an 11-year-old who can make me from scratch homemade biscuit and then fry an egg, make some bacon and make me a breakfast sandwich and brings it to me. I mean, she's 11. Like, that's insane. She makes homemade chicken pot pie. She made squirrel noodle soup in the fall, like from a squirrel that my husband hunted. You want to talk about crazy food experiences? My daughter's having them and she's better for it. And so, yeah, I... I, I get that question a lot because, you know, not everyone homeschools. I was public schooled. I'm very familiar with that whole system. Um, and that's not to say my kids will never go to a school or have a different setup. We really take it year by year. But I still think the food piece is important. And so it, it kind of comes with whatever you're interested in as a parent. I know a lot of people, at least in my generation, were not like taught the importance of nourishment. We weren't taught the importance of food or cooking. And that's something I, I think there's a resurgence of, but um, there's still some pushback there. And so having those conversations, watching the shows, the documentaries, um, there's a ton of great documentaries that we love. I make my kids watch over and over again. And then I like take them to go meet the people and they're just like, this is amazing. So um, yeah, I think everyone can can tailor it to their specific situation. Yeah, I already pitched your curriculum to my kids' school. Oh, and, yeah? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. The, it's a Montessori school. Yeah. Um, so I don't really know how they would, how that would work. I even offered to teach it mm-hmm. like once a week um, to the different classes. So that's amazing. We'll see what they say. Cool. Yeah. We have a lot of friends who utilize Montessori. I think that's a great way. Um, my curriculum will never end up in the public school system. And I'm okay with that because the point is it's a, it's a counter narrative to what the USDA has to say. And we know that. And so uh, honestly, I think that's why it's possibly even more important that if you are a real food family, um, pursuing the truth about, you know, food and farming that you would bring something like that into your home just to have that conversation or watch a free Netflix documentary and get the same info, right? Like no one has to buy my curriculum to have a nourished fam. It's just a resource for those who want and need it. So, yeah. Okay. So what do you, if you know that it's not going to end up in a public school, what would be your like wildest dream to have happen either with the curriculum or just kind of your, your brand in general, because you've got, you know, a bunch of different resources and you've got your podcast that you do with your husband and you have your Instagram, which is hugely informative. So like, what is it that you see happening with this? What is your goal? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really easy question for me to answer. I've actually never been asked it before, which I think is funny. But my, I think my like, quote, career or my, you know, aspirational dream would be if I could somehow find a way to influence the treatment that I was given for someone with an eating disorder. When I went to inpatient treatment at Ramuda Ranch in Arizona, um, the whole thing was about food, and yet I walked away having zero food knowledge. And I think that had they 
yes, there's there's great things that we talked through, right? We had talk therapy and we, you know, they medicated the heck out of me, which I was not, I literally told them, I said, you're putting me on nine medications. My parents will never pay for this when I get home. And the psychiatrist looked at me like I was in, like I was crazy. But I told him, I said, I'm not going to be on nine medications for the rest of my life. I'm 17. Um, so I had enough like, you know, cognitive awareness to say like no to that. But um, and there were really beautiful things that came out of that experience. But the food education piece was incredibly lacking to the point where, you know, yeah, if you eat your food and so you have 30 minutes for a meal, if you finish within the first 15 minutes, your the, your reward is you can have a cup of tea. OK, that, so it's like quick eating. Let's go um, because girls would just scoop food around their plate. Right. They're really hesitant to eat. We'd have to select our meals. Every meal you'd have like three options for breakfast, three options for lunch. So you'd, you'd sit at a wall kiosk and select your meals for the week that were all pre, pre-planned. Everything had the same like macronutrient count and calorie count, but you could sort of have some freedom there. But I mean, it was like uh, we were eating um, these like banana quesadillas with peanut butter and honey. For breakfast. There's like very little protein, maybe some sausage on the side. Very little protein. I didn't understand the function of fat in the body. I left still thinking if I eat fat, I will be fat, which couldn't be further from the truth. I had no understanding of the types of food we were eating. I didn't know anything about refined grains. I didn't know anything about proper preparation of food. I didn't know uh, there was, you know, like a step down program where you go for the last 30 days that kind of like assimilates you back into society, right? Because you've been locked in this house with a bunch of uh, teenage girls with also have, that also have eating disorders, right? So you're in this whole universe for 60 days. And then you go to this step-down program for 30 days of that. And, you know, they have you do things like practice grocery shopping or, you know, you can finally go to the bathroom without someone looking at you, which is really nice to have. But again, there was zero nutritional education from the dietitian and the dietitian would you know talk to me and say hey um have you been jumping on your bed because your weight last week was two pounds down i'm like no i haven't been secretly exercising because some some women do that some kids will do that and so she's like okay well we gotta up your um we need to up your amount for snacks. So you had a certain number that you had to out of the snack category so we had three meals a day and two snacks And she'd never clued me into the fact that like, hey, you're actually nourishing your body for the first time in five years. Your metabolism is turning back on. You're eating probably over 2,000 calories a day, having zero exercise because they won't let you exercise. And you're burning so many calories that you're losing weight. They didn't have the conversation with me like, hey, that's a benefit that your metabolism is back online. It was just like, hey, you need to eat more of a snack. I was like, oh, okay. I can do that. I can eat the six version snack versus like the two. But they had a lot of missed opportunities to teach me about real food and honestly physiology. Like I could have learned so much. I just didn't. And so I cherish that time because I have great friendships and I learned a lot there. And it was very formative to just like how I view things. But if I can do anything with like any sort of relationship or influence or inspiration that could come through homegrown – it would be impacting girls that walked that path and that are walking that path right now because it needs to change. I mean, I've talked to current dietitians who are doing their internships at at eating disorder clinics and they have to sit there with the patient as they finish their Pop-Tart. 
because that's the food they're given. And it's like, I understand we need these kids to eat, but we need to feed them real stinking food. It has to be nourishing because you're just going to continue the cycle. You're going to continue the candida overgrowth from all the refined sugar you're giving them. And then you're upset because they're craving carbs. That's not their binge purge cycle. That's their disrupted microbiome and their gut dysbiosis. And if you would just clue them into that, how food can be powerful for them and doesn't have to be scary, then that could change their life. But it's just not happening. So that's my easy answer. I don't even know how or if that would ever happen. But to speak to those girls in some way and to, first of all, to prevent them from going down that road, but then also to speak to them in that journey would be just full circle for me. I think that's such an incredible goal. And I really hope you reach that because they need it. Mm-hmm. We need it. And and I know that there are so many individuals, unfortunately women in particular, because, you know, we're targeted the most through society and culture and all of that. And I kind of just want all of this like diet culture to end. I want it to, to just crumble. Um, yeah. Okay. So with the idea of dismantling diet culture, because I think you and I have a very similar um, kind of view of diet culture and how horrible it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I never personally went through a eating disorder unless you consider like being vegan for all the wrong reasons. Um, I, I think that's actually a form of, of disordered eating, specifically putting restrictions on your diet. Right. I no, wish people would talk about that more because I absolutely think you're right. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I, I have so many friends and I'm sure we all do, especially that early 2000s time, I think was specifically riddled with eating disorders for whatever reason, something culturally was going on. Um, and so what I'm trying to get at is how do you see real food being different from the diet culture? So uh, diet culture will focus on outward appearance, right? Um, usually like an ideology around a food or like a um, – it'll always tie it back to like moral and ethics, which there's room for that, that we can absolutely have convictions about how our food gets to our plate. Sometimes those convictions are centered around, I am now better than you because I eat this way versus my conviction being, I hope that whatever animal or plant food is on my plate came to me in a way that honored their life. Two way different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so diet culture can focus on, you know, so often it's like foods you can't have. It's the restriction. It's the this free and that free, the dairy free, the gluten free, the corn free, the soy free, the egg free, the literally any version of that. 
um, it often misses the mark on actually what you should be consuming. Even you, Corey, talking about how your first experiences with food was like, well, don't eat these things. But no one sat you down and said, but do eat these. These are going to be nourishing and satiating. Versus Christine, who had that wild experience in Ecuador, which is like, hey, this is your food and you should honor it and be thankful for it. Like so rich, totally different experiences. You weren't in diet culture. You were at a complete, you were outside of American diet culture, which is why you had that experience. Um, the difference between that versus how we view food, meaning real food, meaning nutrient dense, meaning naturally occurring, um, not denatured and not refined is that it actually opens the door for us to experience all different types of food. So I will never say like a cheeseburger is unhealthy because we eat cheeseburgers weekly. We just make sure we have beautiful like venison or grass-fed beef or um, any sort of ground meat. Honestly, we have good cheese, good vegetable, an organic bun. Sometimes we do sourdough buns. Sometimes we do no bun at all. And like that's a healthy, nourishing meal. And I feel amazing after I have that combo of protein and carb. Um, I will never say like a milkshake is unhealthy if it's one made with raw milk and ice. And um, like I have I have that almost every single day. Maple syrup, vanilla, cream, egg yolks. Like I throw all that stuff in a blender and give it to my kids and tell them they're having a vanilla milkshake. They're like, this is amazing. Obviously, they know it's different from what's at UDF. Um, I don't even know if you guys have UDF, but UDF here is like the place where you get milkshake. It stands for Un- stands for United Dairy Farmers. Um, it's a gas station and an ice cream shop in one, and they're everywhere. So weird. Anyways, that's a little side tangent. But um, yeah, to me, the the real food piece actually offers you real food freedom because when I was stuck in diet culture, I had categories of foods I wouldn't eat. I had categories of foods, they like to call them like fear foods or foods that you're, you work yourself up over because you're concerned that they're going to lead you to either like a binge or you're going to be out of control or you can't control um, how they're going to respond in your body or whatever that looks like. And so I had a whole categories of foods I wouldn't eat. I, like you, was a vegetarian for two years because I was like, well, if I show up to someone's house and they cooked dinner and it has meat in it, I guess I get a free pass. I don't have to eat that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm starving myself and then I'm binging and purging and I just have zero nutrients and I'm 17 years old. Sets you up for not great health in your 20s, right? So um, yeah, the diet culture will never lead you to food freedom. It will only lead you to further restriction. And that's how it exists. That's, it's a self-perpetuating model. I'm going to lead you to a list of foods you can eat so that you also know what you can't eat so that you're stuck in this. You never find true healing. You never find true peace about what's on your plate. And you're always jumping to the next thing, the keto, the paleo, the, the gluten-free, the fat-free, the whatever. Versus food freedom, I show up at a party. I'm like, I don't care because I know I'm nourishing my body so well at home. Maybe I pre-gamed with a beautiful raw milkshake probably did. So I'm not showing up hungry anyways. But if I want to eat something, I feel fine because I know that my body is in a nourished state. My kids are nourished. Um, I can send my kid to camp and she can eat Pepsi for a week and she's okay. Right? Like she's okay because we have this principle of real food in the house and they know that. My kids know that. I would never let them say like, oh, I'm eating pizza tonight. It's a treat. No, 
it's not a treat. It's pizza. It's sourdough pizza. It's amazing. Everyone should eat pizza. I love it. So. I love that. You, that was so beautiful. You kind of like circled back to that post that I mentioned at the very beginning that I wanted to talk about, which was this idea of how food education equals food freedom. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's exactly what you're doing with homegrown education. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, take any food category. It's so simple. If you dial back dairy, for example, dairy is so problematic to so many people and they cut it out. They cut out industrial commercial dairy, which honestly, good for you. I agree. It is going to be problematic. The issue is if you don't have the context behind that, you don't understand how dairy got to where it is today. You don't understand how we've been consuming dairy as a human species. If you don't understand how dairy is consumed in other cultures, you're going to miss a really beautiful nutrient-dense food category. I'm so thankful I I ditched my almond milk and my like oat milk and I have whole raw dairy that I can make beautiful things like homemade ice cream and I can put it in my coffee and I can drink it straight and I can make a protein shake out of it. And um, I cannot imagine a world where I cut out an entire food group because I had a lacking of understanding. And I think the best way to understand food is to dial into the history, read about food in other cultures, and ask yourself, does this make sense? Sucking butter through a straw as a part of your kid's curriculum doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense anatomically. It doesn't make sense with how our digestive tract breaks down fat molecules. It doesn't make sense for anywhere. It doesn't even make sense for our internal body temperature. 98.6 degrees, butter is liquid. You should have warmed the butter. Then you're, you would have realized that your example in your USDA government-funded taxpayer situation is inaccurate. And so, yeah, sorry. But that's just how, that is how I feel. I love that. <laughs> it's, uh, that's bad. It's bad. Um, it's so so bad. I actually, in a past life, used to be a teacher at a public school in New York City. And I saw the food education firsthand and it's atrocious. It's absolutely atrocious. And it's gotten worse since I left. Now they're pushing uh, meatless Fridays and, or sorry, vegan meatless Fridays Mondays. and meatless Mondays. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So there's now two out of the five school days that these kids and many of them, and it's not just New York City, it's all over the nation, but these kids are not getting the nutrients that they need at a critical life uh, stage and, you know, in their growth and development. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's horrendous. And and I agree with you. It's propaganda. It mm-hmm. is 100% propaganda by the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which sounds like such an extreme comment to make until you actually dial in and read it. And I think a lot of parents just haven't read it. And we just kind of, we're so used to passing off obligation with the understanding and trust that someone else will handle that. And so it's really, really hard when you as a person are trying to encourage the opposite. Bring in more onto your plate and understand it for your kid's sake. It's going to be harder, but it's going to be worth it. And so sometimes when I get backlash in that regard, 
it's because I, I am calling for a higher standard in certain areas and it's really hard to accept that standards have been slacking or um, completely opposing what we might want to have in our own household. So, yeah. I think that we should maybe touch a little bit on, um, gosh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something like uplifting. (laughs) End on a good note. Yeah, end on a good note. Um, Wait, do you want – oh, no, do you want to talk about the pre-K program? Because isn't that one new? Um, it launched in December. Yeah, so I can talk about that. And and I can end with an uplifting note because truthfully, you know, this stuff that gets me like fired up and excited is is talking about the truth behind some of these things that can sometimes be controversial. I mean, let's just be honest. A lot of my account is controversial because I talk about wild things like eating organ meats and dairy. Like those are controversial in 2022. I understand. Um, challenging germ theory is controversial in 2022. I understand that greatly. But um, the people who are embracing this sort of critical thinking when it comes to their nourishment are finding so much hope and like re-energizing around their food and it's literally changing generations. Like I can't tell you how many times people have messaged me and said, I'm so thankful I'm able to teach my kids this stuff because I wish I would have known it. And again, that's like exactly why I created it because I wished I would have known it. And so we're seeing now like, yes, we can call out all this stuff that we're frustrated with. But on the other side of that, there's this huge movement of people who are um, recognizing it, calling it out, trying to work within the system. I mean, there's plenty of integrators, plenty of integrators. They have their place and they're doing their job beautifully. But there's also lots of families who are just saying, you know what, I'm going to step out of this system. I'm going to go my own way and I'm going to teach my kids nourishment 101. This is what it looks like and set them up for success in the future so that they can teach their kids, equip them with skills, teach them how to cook, basic sourdough, right? Um, all of those things are beautiful and encouraging and inspirational to me. And like I had a moment, um, honestly, like two, three weeks ago, I think it was, where I posted this thing about budgets and everyone gets all squirrely. Anytime I talk about money, they get really mad at me. And I understand like anytime you're talking to a large audience, there's all different opinions. And sometimes people, they want to feel heard. And so they utilize the comment section, right? I get it. I've, I've seen it enough times like it doesn't bother me, but sometimes it does bother me. So I was like reading the comments and I was like, man, this is really disheartening that there's so much uh, anger and honestly like misunderstanding um, around what the post was saying. And, and I like literally wanted to just like delete my account. I was like, you know what? Why do I even do this? Why am I even on here trying to encourage people that, you know, spending money on their food is worth it. And yet at the same time, you don't have to spend a fortune because you can skip the really expensive cereal and just buy the basic food. Like I was saying both and encouraging them to spend money on their food, but also not spend like money on all the hipster, really cool, crunchy food, because like that's just also really expensive and not that nourishing. But people still get mad. And I had someone message me and she is like, she runs a regenerative farm and she apparently was getting just so much hate for what they were doing, 
for the raising of animals? How can you raise animals and slaughter them? How can you raise animals to be murdered? How can you? And so she said, she said, I was feeling so disheartened, so discouraged for the work that my family does every single day. I went to your account to find some encouragement and I found it and I'm thanking you. And I like cried because I was like, first of all, you're the hero. You're the farmer putting food on people's plates. I'm just the megaphone shouting the message. Um, I am the messenger. I get shot a lot and that's fine. But like sometimes it takes a toll on you. And in that moment, I remembered like, wait, this isn't even about me. None of this is about me. None of this is about Liz Hazelmeyer. Like no one even really knows that name because it's just about the people who produce the food and then the families who are gathering around their dining room table. And so it was like that was a moment where I saw that this conversation and having it in such a public space and constantly sort of like pushing and uh, encouraging people in a way that I feel like has really benefited our family was worth it to take whatever backlash or fire or um, emotional stress right on me because for this person, she was uplifted in her career because she's doing something. She's raising animals and food with integrity and she's putting food on people's plates. And I was just like so humbled by that. And um, it was just incredibly encouraging. So I, I do, as much as I like to talk about as much as I, as I like to unearth some of the things that maybe people aren't open to or that they can't see yet, I also like to talk about the encouraging pieces of that and what it looks like when people um, are now able to feel um, regenerate, uh, uh, rejuvenated in their career paths, even though they too are feeling the same sort of pushback from this like overarching, you know, mainstream dietary narrative. So. I don't even remember what the original question was, honestly. I, <laughs> so I just went off on a tangent. No, that's great. <laughs> um, okay, so we are pushing time here, but let's go with one more and um, just keep it. I mean, you can answer how long you want, but it's kind of a simple question. Um, what would you kind of give people as an encouragement or as a step towards maybe, um, you know, incorporating more real food and that real food lifestyle into their homes, what would be kind of the first step that you would suggest? The first step I would do is honestly, if you're going to transition your food and you're going to go on this journey of education, which is going to be largely educational, start with the foods you consume the most. Um, There are some critical foods that like if you're a family that's chugging down the milk, making the transition from conventional milk to whole raw dairy, if you have access to it, if you have affordable access to it, which we know is an issue, um, can be a game changer, that alone. Um, There's also simple things to say Even if folks wrote down all of the food or they kept their receipts and they looked at all the food they're spending their money on, simply asking yourself the question, I spent $5 on this box of cereal. What nourishment did I gain from that? Anything? Because honestly, if you dial into that, the answer is likely going to be I got some quick energy from the simple carbohydrates. 
I might have crashed 30 minutes later. Who knows? And um, honestly, my kids were asking for snacks all day versus I spent $5 on a carton of eggs and we had protein that sustained us until lunchtime. And seeing it as truthfully, like being really critical and scrutinizing your own grocery spending habits, because I think if people realized how much money they were spending on food but not on nourishment, they would be like, whoa, I'm buying all of these bars and um, cereals and everything I grew up on, you know, too. But I'm at the point where I'm like, I, I don't have a million dollars to spend every month on my grocery bill. And so I want the best bang for my buck. And so that's where I'm like, hey, it's insane that we live in a culture that we're trained to go to the meat aisle, pick up a package of boneless, skinless chicken breast, and then go to the soup aisle and pick up a carton of chicken stock. (laughs) That's like both of those are like poorly processed, um, lacking and so expensive. Like you're going to spend so much money on parts than if you would just buy the whole. But the issue is you have to have the education to understand how to cook the whole, how to make the stock. Even though stock is literally just simmering a bunch of stuff in a pot of water, it's so intimidating to people. And so there needs to be some voices that like can hold your hand and say, hey, no, you can buy the, the whole chicken and then you can cook it this way and then you can make a stock. Bam, nourishing food in your weekly um, rhythm all the time. So Yeah, I think it starts with, you know, what foods are you consuming on a regular basis, but also like be really honest with yourself and the money you're spending on your current food. And is it is it just affordable or is it providing nutrition? So. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's almost like I love that. Yeah, you said something along the lines of if people realized how much money they are spending on food and not nourishment. Oof. Mm-hmm. that's a good one right there <laughs> and again it comes back to like i'm not mad at the mom at the grocery store buying the cereal i'm really not i'm like i was her and when i whenever people like hear passion behind my voice i think they think i'm trying to shame the consumer i'm absolutely not i'm trying to tell you that we live in this world of a really complex food system and unless you understand that you're never going to see beyond your current purchasing habits so i'm actually just annoyed at Kellogg or whatever, you know, manufacturing (laughs) company is behind all of the processed packaged foods. And, um, and even they have a purpose where they're trying to feed masses. And so it, it all dials back to like the system we live in, how we can incorporate actual tangible change within that, within budget and know like there's so much grace for you wherever you are on your journey. Keep in mind we were buying flaming hot Cheetos like six years ago. So there's not like this you have to go to this long academy and graduate and then all of a sudden like you're nourished. No. Like you I love how you grew up on on a, such a eclectic um, variety of food because that can be the start of someone's beautiful journey. And so it all looks different, but there is a little bit of like a painful wake up call within that. And I think that that's okay. And that's where we need the grace for people to say like, you're doing the best you can with what you have. Keep that up. Also keep learning. So yeah. Yeah. That's so great. You're, you're so, I mean, Corey and I bring that up a lot. This is a journey and everyone is at a different place in the journey. 
and we can't compare ourselves to other people. We can only do the very best that we can in the moment that we're at. And yeah, it's, it's, it's important to have that reminder. Um, okay. Well, I think we've pretty much covered a lot. Um, Liz, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, yeah. Thanks for wanna... having me. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Sure. Yeah. So um, you can find all of the resources. And the, honestly, some of our most utilized resources are the free ones, like the free sourdough guide. <laughs> um, you can find all that stuff at homegrowneducation.org. Um, there's a really cool community on Instagram at homegrown underscore education. And uh, let's see. We, oh, we have a homegrown podcast that my husband and I do where we talk about, you know, the truth behind food and farming. And we do a mixture of guest interviews and also just Joey and I talking through different food principles and family life and, you know, what all of this stuff looks like. So, yeah, that, those are the main places. Excellent. Okay. And Christine, um, you have something very cool coming out. I do. Can I talk about it real quick? Yeah. Okay. So since we're talking about real food education, that's what this whole episode is about. Um, Real food education starts with us, the parents. And I spent the past few months creating a new online course called Nurtured Foundations. And I made it with a partner of mine who is a pediatric occupational therapist. She's a feeding specialist. And together, we felt like there was a need for a feeding baby course that focused on the oral motor development side of it, but also included ancestral nutrition and taught parents how to feed their kids real nutrient-dense foods from the start. Um, And... That's the part that I'm the most excited about and that I contributed in. Uh, So we talk about, you know, the first foods that you can feed baby like egg yolk and liver and meat stock and bone broth and bone marrow. Um, And the course is currently, um, you can purchase it on my website or there's a link in my bio on Instagram and it comes with a cookbook, which I'm even more excited about because I think as parents sometimes we get overwhelmed with what to feed our babies. And so the cookbook breaks it up into stages and ages and um, kind of explains how you can, what are the best first foods to feed your baby. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. And yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, I think that's it, ladies. I think we're wrapping this up. Anybody have anything else they want to share? Okay. Well, thanks again, Liz. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. And I'm going to put in one more plug. Everybody should go and follow you on Instagram because it's one of the best places for just free information. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I I spent a lot of time and energy on Instagram, and I I hope that it is exactly that, free information for people who want it. So thank you, guys. This has been such a fun conversation. I really admire the work that both of you guys are doing. Um, And just keep on with this podcast. I think podcasts can be so powerful. 
um, and as much work and grind. And I mean, we're three moms sitting here at nearly 11 o'clock at night, but like it's worth it because someone's going to listen to this episode and it's going to impact them. And it's, it's fantastic, worthy work. So keep it up. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's, I think all three of us obviously have a passion for encouraging other mothers and hopefully um, just kind of being that community that people, that people need. All right, guys, thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at NourishTheLittles and online at NourishTheLittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at ForNutrientSake and online at ForNutrientSake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas. The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.